Okay, for our next message, it'll be brought to us by Mr. Barnabas Grayson. It is entitled Advent. Good afternoon, everyone. This, this third section is pretty well filled up. This one's pretty good. Wow. But we're all here. All here. It's good. Ron passed out the outline that I have for the sermon this afternoon. The uh, heading that you have on the handout kind of gives you uh, an outline of uh, what this message is about. It's about Advent. Many churches observe a period of time that they call Advent. It is a time of expectant waiting and preparation for the celebration of the nativity of Jesus Christ and his, uh, his second coming. Now the term means arrival or coming and like most Christians who see the world churning in various troubles and turmoil, political and social, and the pandemic, there is truly a desire for peace on earth and for healing to come soon. In the meantime, how are we to prepare and what must we know in order to do those things? Now, Advent is a word that you hear often in the month of December. Advent, capital A, comes from a Latin word that means Adventus, which means uh, arrival or coming. And it begun, begins four Sundays before um, Christmas. And, on, and, on Christ, and it ends on Christmas Eve. But we know that many people love Christmas. They celebrate Christmas with a lot of gusto. Songs are written about it, and it's the anticipation that begins a little before uh, December 25th comes, just after Thanksgiving Day. So everyone's anticipating the things that are to come. We know, as I have mentioned, that it marks the preparation for and the celebration of the birth of Christ and while it marks the birth of Jesus it also marks the uh, coming uh, the second coming of Jesus Christ this word Advent is not in the Bible but it is there's uh, some words that come close to its meaning and in in that we know it means arrival or uh, coming so it's about that day to come is what we're going to look at today. The advent of that day that is to come. If we look in the book of Malachi 3.2, it says that who may abide the day of his coming and who shall stand when he appeareth for he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. So all the transgressions of mankind, the things that are going on in the world are going to be cleansed, going to be cleaned up, clean, cleansed up. So what manner of people are we to be? In Matthew 24, it says, 
And he sat upon the Mount of Olives because the disciples were there and he was talking about the things that were to come, looking at the Temple Mount and the stones that were there that none would be left atop one another. And they came unto him saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? So we see in verse 27 of Matthew 24, verse 3 first Matthew 24 verse 3 as he sat there on the Mount of Olives what will be the sign of thy coming and he said in verse 27 for as the lightning comes out of the east and that's referring to the sun and shines even into the west you know as it makes its journey across the sky and then sets so shall also the coming of the son of man be so in that day, there's going to be that miraculous um, journey that is going to, you know, transverse, uh, go around the globe. Verse 30. Then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn. And they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. What's going to cause them to mourn? Why would they not be joyful in seeing the return of Christ? Well, if you've got things to hide and things that you're not doing or supposed to be doing, no wonder you may mourn. Revelation 21, verse 2 tells us, this is what John saw in the book of Revelation. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. So this new Jerusalem, it's uh, Jerusalem, is known as a city of peace. And that's the basis for the, uh, the, the saying, uh, peace be with you. So Jerusalem, as we know in the history of Jerusalem, it, that's where the temple of God was uh, erected. It's where the sacrifices were offered. It's where the city of the prophets came and warned the people. It also is a city where, uh, that uh, shows the King, King David's line. And where the death and the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus Christ was. And also where the Holy Spirit was uh, uh, descended. Now in Haggai... Chapter 2, verse 9, uh, God himself is going to bring uh, peace. In this place, God himself, it says, will give peace. And it's the city in 1 Kings, I didn't, you might need to write those down. But in Kings, 1 Kings 14, 21, the city which Jehovah had chosen out of all the tribes of Israel put his name there. That's, what, that's Jerusalem. So we're looking at a time that is yet future. A time in which people are looking forward to in different ways. Celebrating it in different ways. When you come to the name of Jerusalem. Uh, the rabbis say there are 60 different names that, uh, that, uh, for Jerusalem. So in a in few weeks. Many the world over will be celebrating uh, the celebration of the birth of Christ. 
But in reality, of course, we know it's already begun. You've got colorful lights that are they're strung up, decorations and scenes all over. They're on display in homes and in stores. Christmas carols are, are heard almost everywhere. And, you know, we're not unaffected by those things. The bright lights, uh, cheerful lights, uh, is just one of those things that kind of draws you into the season whether you really want to or not and there's a lot of Christmas carols that go on that are very beautiful and they bring back you know memories especially to those that may have celebrated Christmas uh, before knowing better so there's just something in the air that brings people of all ages this feeling of excitement and cheer and anticipation but at the same time, we know that there are, you know, thoughts of melancholy and longing, even despair, and also depression. That affects both the have and the have-nots. For some, it is a call to spend more than their budget might allow, money that they do not have, and sometimes they come up short in giving gifts to loved ones and try to please them at the same time. I will tell you a story. When I was younger, Christmas came along. I always expected to get a, uh, uh, you know, in those days we watched a lot of westerns on TV. And so I wanted uh, a holster set with my little cat pistol and things of that sort. But my dad never did get me a, any guns. And so one time I found underneath the tree a box that look, hey, this is this could be it, and what it was was a, a little doctor's kit. <laughs> and my cousins came over to see what I got, and uh, I had this doctor's kit, and they had their were their sight their guns and things, and there I was envious of it, and and what was in the uh, doctor's kit were little tiny pills, and it was candy, and they ate it all up. <laughs> So that was my gift to them in a way. But, you know, sometimes you don't always get what you want. I've heard a song that says you can't always get what you want. And sometimes Christmas is that way and people are disappointed because yeah, they don't uh, get it. But it's just one of those uh, times that is really forced upon some people to observe. And so it is that there are some who dread to see the so-called Yuletide season come along. But it's a tradition that's been around a long time and many are taken in by it whether they want to be or not. Christmas is seen, of course, as a season of goodwill toward men and we hear season's greetings or, or happy holidays or Merry Christmas and, and also peace on earth. But we know that there is a little bit of truth in this celebration that some believe is the birth for, uh, of Jesus Christ. And there are a lot of good and sincere people who, who keep it. They're, they are not evil people as we might uh, sometimes think. They're, they're just following a tradition that began when they were children. But there are things in it that make it a false religion. That are contrary to the commandments of God. Because we are supposed to worship God in spirit and in truth by living in his word in Matthew chapter 15 verse 8 
Jesus said to his disciples, This people draws nigh unto me with their mouth, and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. While some try to put, you know, uh, uh, Jesus back into uh, Christmas, you know, as the saying go, goes, he was never really there in the first place. Verse 9, in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. And he called the multitude, and he said unto them, hear and understand. That's how we understand the word of God, is we hear it read, or someone speaks of the word of God, and we listen, and we understand. And if we don't understand, we ask questions about it. But at this time, as we know, and this, this, uh, we're in the hold of this pandemic, at least for the time being, also in an economic crisis that was mentioned earlier, and it's causing quite a bit of distress, political upset, social fears, and just, you know, what is the truth about it all and what, what are the lies. So this celebration of Christmas comes at a time that, in a way, should cause people to turn their eyes on Jesus Christ, the greatest gift to mankind. And to think about our need for him to return and, you know, just level things out and, and set our hearts and minds on the right course. But, of course, we don't celebrate Christmas because of its falsehoods and its roots in pagan practices. In time between now and, and uh, the time that comes, you know, there will probably be some uh, messages that will they'll give you more about what Christmas is all about like over there in the uh, I think in the pamphlets there there are some things that describe the origins of Christmas now we know that there are preachers who bear glad tidings about Christ as a newborn king and savior and there are some who preach for the wrong reasons and here's what the apostle Paul said in regard to that in Philippians chapter 1 Verse 18, he said, Some indeed preach Christ out of envy and strife, and some also out of goodwill. The one preaches Christ out of uh, contention, which is, you know, selfish ambition, and not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds. But the other out of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. What then? Notwithstanding, every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And I therein do rejoice, yeah, and will rejoice. So we see uh, two kinds of motives there. One is either pre pretense or in truth. So as a, a living, uh, the living Bible states it, whatever their motive, motives for doing it, the fact remains that the good news is about Christ and that's being preached and for that the Apostle Paul is glad and when you look at good news there are many words that come to mind when you think about the gospel think about salvation 
and you think about peace and you think about uh, the hope that is ahead of eternal life. So from the days of the prophets until now, there is the expectation that Jesus is to come, that he will come someday. Now, as we know, the birthplace of Jesus was prophesied in the Old Testament. For example, in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, it says, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, which means fruitfulness, and was the ancient name of Bethlehem, which means house of bread. So Jesus was born in a town called House of Bread. You, Though you be a little among the thousands of Judah, Yet out of you shall come forth unto me he that is to be ruler in Israel, whose going forths have been from old, from everlasting. So it was in Bethlehem that the, that the Messiah, or the bread of life, was born. Matthew chapter 2, verse, uh, beginning verse 1. Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, Behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king, king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. When Herod the king heard these things, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born, and they said unto him in Bethlehem of Judea. For thus it is written by the prophet. And you Bethlehem in the land of Judah. Are not the least among the princes of Judah. For out of you shall come a governor. That shall rule my people Israel. So all that was reported. And we see that Christ was born in a manger you know at this time of year you know you hear about uh, way in a manger uh, that song uh, about that Luke chapter 2 verse 4 Joseph also went up from Galilee Galilee out of this of the city of Nazareth into Judea unto the city of David which is called Bethlehem the house of bread because he was of the house and lineage of David, Bethlehem was the birthplace, as you know, of King David. So Joseph went up to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. So as uh, many Protestant Christians keep uh, Advent, each Sunday they will be reading passages and scriptures that apply to the nativity of Jesus Christ's birth and also to the time coming, of, to his second coming, that is. Now, there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And so in this, the stories that we read, we're looking at how our Savior was born. 
and lo, let me read verse 9, and lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, you know, don't be afraid, for behold, I bring you tiding, good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. To all people. That's all people there and around the world. Those that have lived and those that have died. This great joy, great uh, tiding, good tidings of great joy. For, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. You know, when you look at the word Savior, uh, it means a lot of things to each and every one of us uh, individually, which is Christ, Messiah, the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. So imagine that, how the king, or how Christ, that is to be our Savior, was born in a manger. Verse 13, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and, and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass as the angels were gone away from them into the heavens, the shepherds said one to another, let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord has made known unto us. And they came with haste. They hurried and they found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. All of this, you know, was for a reason to, to fulfill the prophecy and to show him as the bread of life. Because, you know, the word uh, manger is... P-H-A-T-N-E, fatney, and it's from the Greek word meaning crib or a stall. A crib is a box, a trough, or it's for a fodder, which cattle were fed. So Jesus was born, our king to come, was born in a manger with humble beginnings. So, we also see another prophecy of the coming king. Some scriptures that give us a brief look ahead in Acts uh, 1, uh, verse 10. Remember, the disciples had asked uh, Christ about his coming, and they said, uh, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know. So we know, even now, it's not for us to know when that coming will be. We just know that it is going to come. That second coming will come. And you won't know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own power. So what events will signal your return, they were asking, and the end of the age? And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up behold two uh, men stood by them in white apparel which also <coughs> said to them you men of Galilee why stand you gazing up into heaven 
this same Jesus which is taken from you into heaven so shall come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven this rising up and then this coming this coming down so the next appearance of Jesus Christ will be as we know at the end of the age time when the saints will be born again in a spiritual uh, birth into that coming kingdom that Christ will that kingdom of peace that Christ will bring a few verses I'd like to read I don't think I've put these down in your outline there but in Revelation 1 7 behold he comes with clouds and every eye shall see him those who are alive at that time when he returns and also those who are resurrected in this in the second in the resurrection that is to come and they also which pierced him and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him even so amen so be it then in revelation 1 verses 5 uh, 6 and from jesus christ who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. That's why he came. And has made us kings and priests unto God and his father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now in Revelation 17, verse, beginning verse 13, that there is a time coming when before Christ returns that there will be a power that will go against the coming of Christ and that it described as a beast these have one mind and shall give their power and strength unto the beast and they shall make war with the lamb they're not going to accept his coming and the lamb shall overcome them for he is Lord of Lords and King of Kings and they that are with him are called chosen and faithful they that are with Christ are called chosen and faithful Revelation chapter 5 9 10 and they sung a new song saying you are worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation and has made us unto our God kings and priests and we shall reign on the earth so what kind of king will you be what kind of uh, edicts and ways would you uh, have in mind as you rule as a king Isaiah chapter 9 Christ we know has divine titles and we see unto us, of course, a child is born. Unto us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Actually, this, this Wonderful Counselor in Hebrew is actually one term, as I read in, in one commentary. He is called the Mighty God. The Mighty God. The Everlasting Father the prince of peace so we know that this uh, this is Emmanuel you know or God with us 
And of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom in, to order it, to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth, henceforth even forever. So the zeal of the Lord of the hosts will perform this. Isaiah chapter 11, Christ is going to rule with righteousness. And that's what will be foremost on our minds as kings and priests in that world that is to come, in that age that is to come. Verse 1, it says, There shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord and shall make him a quick understanding in the fear of the Lamb and he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes neither reprove after the hearing of his ears they're going to jump to conclusions and so on but will judge with righteousness but with righteousness shall he judge the poor and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth and he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked. And righteousness shall be the girdle of his loins and faithfulness the girdle of his reins. So as we know the disciples had asked Christ well when shall these things be? That was a lot for them to hear uh, to, and understand. And not for you to know he said to them it's all in the father's hands. But it will come, as we know, at a time when there is unresolvable tension in the world. And if it were not for the elect's sake, those chosen, those called out of this age to inherit the coming kingdom, there would no flesh be saved. So we remember if we read Matthew 24, uh, 24 of the signs that Christ gave. Now Malachi chapter 3. Behold I will send my messenger. And he shall prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek. Shall suddenly come to his temple. Even the messenger of the covenant whom you delight in. Behold he shall come. Saith the Lord of hosts. We think about the two witnesses. witnesses and we think about. The prophets and the apostles who have come preparing that way. And we have heard over the years, you know, about, uh, from the pulpit, uh, these very words that there will be a messenger that will come and shall prepare the way before him. But who may abide the day of his coming? Who shall stand when he appears? For he's like a refiner's fire. And he shall sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. And he shall purify the sons of Levi, purge them as gold and silver, that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. So, you know, there's going to come a restoration of all things. Then shall the offering of Judah and Jerusalem be pleasant unto the Lord as in the days of old and as in former years. And I will come near to you uh, to judgment, and I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, the adulterers, false swearers, 
against those that oppress the hireling in his wages, the widow, the fatherless, and that turn aside the stranger from his right, and fear not me, saith the Lord of hosts. As we uh, might want to write this down, you probably know it already, Amos 3, 7 tells us that surely the God will do nothing, but he reveals his secret unto his servants, the prophets. Matthew 24, verse 14, And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world as a witness unto all nations. Then shall the end come. When you therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place, whoso reads, let him understand. Then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. So we see that there are serious times that are ahead. We know that power will be given unto two witnesses. They're going to be clothed in sackcloth. And sackcloth, according to Unger's Bible Dictionary, it's a rough garment made of goat's hair. One can imagine how that would feel against the skin. But it's figurative of putting off joy and gladness for mourning and heavy affliction. It doesn't uh, describe wearing a coat or a tie or some kind of fashionable garment because sometimes it, it is worn to the skin as an, uh, uh, or as a, an outer garment and it symbolizes the sincerity of your calling. Two witnesses wearing this sackcloth in a time that is to come. So in the eyes of the world, it will be seen as something weird, something strange, probably not fashionable. But for three and a half years, they will give God's message of repentance and warning and witness and testimony to the coming of the kingdom of heaven. So, and we also know that there is a time coming when Jerusalem is going to be surrounded by armies. It will be a hot spot, as uh, Luke says in uh, 21 20. Uh, when you shall see Jerusalem compassed with armies, then know that the desolation thereof is nigh. As we've been told many times before, you know, keep your eyes watching the Middle East, things that are happening over there. Sometimes we don't hear a whole lot. Then, verse 15, when you therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel, the prophet, stand in the holy place. Whoso reads, let him understand, then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. So it is rough today. But it, we, know that, we know that it will be through much tribulation that we enter into the kingdom of heaven. But we know, but we know that Jesus will come. For the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. Luke chapter 21, it says, In your patience, in verse 19, possess you your souls. And when you shall see Jerusalem, compass with armies, Know that the desolation thereof is nigh. So this message will bear repeating at that time. 
At this time, all things are being prepared for that coming day of the return of Jesus Christ as King of kings and Lord of lords. And he's preparing a chosen generation, a peculiar people that is the elect of God. And for the elect's sake, you know, those days are going to be cut short. Matthew chapter 24, verse 29, immediately after the tribulation of those, of those days, shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he shall send his angels with the great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. Jesus said to us that we should watch and pray. And he gave, you know, the disciples signs to look for. Famines, pestilences, disease, wars, false prophets. But since the beginning of time, these things have always been. Even as in, you know, as in the days of Noah. And ever since, man has tried to do that which was, you know, right in his own sight. But it has not always been the right thing to do. Proverbs 21, 2 says that we can justify every deed, but God looks at our motives. And man desired to have a king rule over them. But Satan has pulled the strings by tempting man in the wrong direction in opposition to God and that's what he would like to do with our life pull us in the wrong direction even as he did Adam and Eve by lying to them even as he did Christ by showing him the kingdoms that he could rule over even as he does people today in various ways giving them ways that seems right unto them but in the, the end thereof ends in death 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 13. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no mar marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. Revelation 12 verse 9 tells us about a great dragon that was cast out that old serpent called the devil and Satan which deceives the whole world he was cast out into the earth and his angels were cast out with him so we're told to be on watch to be on guard John chapter 8 verse 43 three, uh, verse 43 why do you not understand my speech even because you cannot hear my word. It's because you are prevented from doing so. Because verse 44. You are your father the devil. He's the one deceiving the whole world. 
and the lust of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth. He had access to the truth, but he decided he didn't want to abide in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. And because I tell you the truth, you believe me not. So no one wanted to hear the truth because some just didn't believe in Christ or in his words because he was the one doing the speaking and the telling the way truth should be. So we are to watch so as not to be deceived and go along with the ways of the world doing things that could quench the spirit of God. So the scripture says to watch to let no man take your crown that crown of life which the Lord has promised to them that love him. James chapter 1 verse 12 says blessed is the man that endures temptation. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to them that love him. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 25. And every man that strives for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible crown. That's why we're temperate. 1 Peter 5, verse 8. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walks about seeking whom he may devour. Proverbs 20, verse 2, talks about how earthly kings tend to rule. It says in verse 2, the fear of a king is as the roaring of a lion, who, and whoever provokes him to anger sins against his own soul. So the king's fury is like that of a roaring lion. To rouse his anger is to risk your life. Pro Proverbs 28 verse 15. It says, as a roaring lion and a raging bear, so is a wicked ruler over the poor people. So if a wicked ruler, a wicked ruler is dangerous to the poor as a lion or a bear attacking them and you just don't go uh, irritating a raging bear Proverbs chapter 6 we know there are six things the Lord does hate seven are an abomination unto him proud look haughtiness lying tongue hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devives wicked imaginations, feet that be swift in running to mischief, false witnesses, or false witness that speaks lies, and he that sows discord among brethren. And it says you shall know them by their fruits. So what kind of king would you be if you had that opportunity in this world today? And the best and only example is that of Jesus Christ. Matthew 5. Tell, you know about the Beatitudes. And he tells us of the kind of attitude. That we should be in. Read those. I won't go over those right now. But for example. Blessed are the meek. For they shall inherit the earth. And blessed are the peacemakers. So. 
We live in an age where there are things that can't put you into a bad attitude or by the things we do and say can put others in a bad attitude. So we have to keep from being drawn into the ways of the world but to have that good attitude that Christ preached in the Sermon on the Mount. Philippians 1.27, the Apostle Paul said, Let your conversation be as it becomes the gospel of Christ. You know, that's the teaching of his righteousness, which leads to salvation. That whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. And we know how important it is that when people that we know, people in the congregation, are facing various distresses in their life, that we strive together, praying for one another. When we are divided, you know that we are weakened. So we must be on guard. We can't count on our own strength, thinking that it is by our willpower that we overcome. We have to be on guard in this day and age. And we know Ephesians 6 tells us about, you know, the armor of God, those things to put on, like truth and righteousness, peace, faith, the knowledge of salvation, those things. And we do that by looking at the word of God. Philippians chapter 3. Verse 20, our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. That is his coming, that is the advent. This uh, word conversation, this word is different from the, you know, the previous one that we read. Uh, and it means citizenship or community. So our citizenship is in heaven. In a way, we are card carrying uh, members of that time and that age and that kingdom that is to come and what we look to Jesus Christ his coming who shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body according to the working whereby he's able even to subdue all things unto himself so our homeland as the Living Bible translates it, our homeland is in heaven where our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, is. And we're looking forward to his return from there, to his arrival from there. And when he comes back, he will take these dying bodies of ours and change them into glorious bodies, even as he has already taken some from among us. Into glorious bodies like his own. Using the same mighty power. That he will use to conquer all else everywhere. So we, we look at the advent. In perhaps different ways than what other churches look at it. In a li little more detail I guess. Isaiah chapter 9. Concluding scripture. Unto us a child is born. Verse 6. Unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. 
And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And you know that he will make us unto God also, kings and priests, and have our part in bringing peace and goodwill toward uh, all of mankind. Verse 7. And of the increase of his government, his arrival, and peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. And the zeal of the Lord will perform this. So we see the arrival, the advance, the advent of Jesus Christ that, that we are looking to and so is the rest of society and when that time comes and it gets ever closer, we can look up and know that our salvation is near.